Son and I just want to take you guys back to Hawaii. Yeah, we leave tomorrow afternoon, so come on. That's how to have worship. That's how to wake up in the morning. Fantastic. Love, love the worship team. Love. Just love being part of the church family. And uh, Son and I are so grateful. Okay, let's go ahead and take communion at this time. <laughs> yeah, we're just, uh, you know, we're grateful to have spent the weekend with you guys. And um, yeah, it's a special memory. Special memory. Grateful that we could share it together. Uh, grateful to get to have new friends uh, here on the East Coast. Um, but it's amazing. Wherever God's Spirit transforms people like all of us, we're family. Uh, different amount of hair, different <laughs> sizes, different languages, praises heard all around the world. And, and that's just who God is. And we're here today for just a short time, and then we're gone. Um, and that, that helps us, quite honestly, even in our marriage. Uh, don't stay stuck. Don't, don't stay mad at each other. Because that may be your last day together. And so we have so much to live for, brothers and sisters. We really do. And I really believe God has a lot in store for all of us still in the future. You know, we've talked a lot about loving each other this weekend, doing it the most excellent way, according to God's word, the way of God, the way of submissiveness, and the way of unconditional love. I mean, we've got to realize that marriage is an act of faith. It's not just some event. It's not just some, you know, you, you say some vows and... Everything just works out. No, as a husband and a wife, it is an act of faith. What, what you and your spouse are experiencing can be glorious in God if you, if you include him in it, if you include the, the, the faith as your engine, as you include love and submissiveness in the way of God, it's an act of faith. I'm reminded of a story between a husband and a wife a man by the name of David Ireland wrote letters to an unborn child while he was dying from a crippling neurological disease. And he, he wrote these letters to this unborn child still in his wife's womb, a child he 
probably would never see, hold, rock, kiss, or take to a ball game or to a movie. A child he might never shoot baskets with, take to the circus, or comfort after a bad dream. He desperately wanted this unborn child to know that whether he was dead or alive, his daddy loves him. And with that in mind, he wrote this letter. He said, your mother is special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for us. He means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off of my wheelchair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car, and drive off to the restaurant. And then, it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the car, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner. She feeds me through the entire meal. And when it's over, she pays the bill. Pushes the wheelchair out to the car again and reverses the same routine. And when it's over, finished, with real warmth, she'll say to me, honey, thank you for taking me out to dinner. never quite know how to answer. I've never met this woman, but she's an inspiration to me and should be an inspiration to all of us of what unconditional love means in a marriage. What sacrifice, what heart, she absolutely displays this. And I want to encourage all of us, my wife and I, let's make sure that we express and we communicate the godly love that he has given us to our spouse every single day. That you live your marriage as an act of faith in God's eyes. That the most excellent way is through submissiveness, through unconditional love. That is God's way, and it works all the time. It's eternal. It's everlasting. I don't want to go bed to bed mad at my wife, and I don't want her to go to bed mad at me. You can sing that song later. <laughs> I want to end our time with this message. God is not done with us. 
If you can start turning your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 12. There will be times, brothers and sisters, that you will lose heart in following God. It's a given. If you have been a disciple for more than one week, it is a given. <laughs> I remember starting off as a Christian. Again, this is over 31 years ago. Passion to serve the Lord. And I want you to go back to that time when you became a disciple and what it was like. And what happened in your life and the change of events and all the different things that were happening. But I remember the changes that happened in my life from the empty, godless, immoral life that God had transformed me now to a life of hope, a life of purpose, a life of, a life of faith. Lots of vision to change the world. Blessed to have the opportunity to serve God full time in the ministry and then, and then getting battle tested over and over the years. And how God has led my wife and I to, to be part and serve in, in ministries in San Francisco and the Philippines and in Thailand, in Cambodia, in Los Angeles, in the Middle East, and now in Hawaii where San and I drink Mai Tais every day on the beach. <laughs> Not. And over the last 31 years, we have certainly seen lots of modern-day miracles where God has transformed people's lives and he's saved marriages, he's restored families. Yet at the same time, all those joys are also sprinkled in with different challenges in life. The burdens of taking on your own sin and the burden of taking on other people's sins. Sometimes being criticized for not meeting other people's needs being persecuted outside the church, even opposed at times inside the church. Lord, take me away. I didn't birth these people. <laughs> I'm not enjoying this, God. This is not what I expected. I'm not sure I can keep doing this, Lord. Let me just go back to my little hometown and sell cookies. Loving, loving Jesus, following Christ passionately time and time again can be challenging. It's not easy. It's not easy to keep our zeal. It's not easy to keep our dreams. It's not easy to keep our faith. And there will be times that we lose heart. Lots of people lose heart. Lots of people don't have what we have. I wanted to show you some pictures here. This was the Manila Mission Team back in 1989. There are 28 of us. Most of us are Filipinos, so I know it's hard to recognize where Son and I are. We're down, <laughs> we're down in the bottom right there, sitting, sitting down. But most of us, we were early 20s, people giving up their PhD uh, degrees to go on mission teams, uh, fresh out of college, we were like the bad news bears, <laughs> a lot of faith, lacking knowledge, but God still used it, 
Here's another picture of some of the leaders there. Again, I know, it looks like Filipino town. <laughs> Son and I are in the bottom right there. We're married by then. But I remember back in 1989, uh, the mission team left in June, and we, in July of 1989, in the, the middle of tropical summer there in the Philippines, hot, sticky, smelly, all those kinds of things. We, we visited this place called Smoky Mountain. And if you're not familiar with it, basically it was a community where about 30,000 people lived on garbages of, garbage of mountains, piles of, of garbage. And they lived off the garbage. They were scavengers off the garbage. This was their way of life. This is their means of support. They'd, they'd go through the garbage looking to see what they could possibly eat or sell for their life. And I remember taking that small air-conditioned bus as a mission team and, and, and going to this place just outside of Metro Manila, outside of the city. And even as we approached this area, we could start smelling something differently. Once we arrived, the doors opened of the bus, and, and this smell just hit us that we've never experienced before. It's a deep, rotting type of smell. And it's hot, it's windy, and you, 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 can't, you can't get rid of this smell. And it, it took us minutes to adjust. And we walked up these mountains, and we wanted to meet some of the people in the community, give them the few gifts that we had. But it was humbling. It was humbling to go up to this mountain and to see what their houses were like, and kids were playing in their slippers, sometimes even barefoot, and there was still joy in these kids. I want to show a few pictures here. You see these tractors and people just going through piles and piles of garbage, and it's called Smoky Mountain because of the garbage. There's just constant fires going on in these mountains. Mothers and fathers and children, when the new trucks arrive of garbage, it's their livelihood. These are some of the homes that are on top of Smoky Mountain. And those are years of layers and layers of garbage. A new truck arrives and people know they've got to be first there. And these are some of the homes built out of whatever they can find. There's a young boy trying to read a comic book. His feet are completely blackened. That's his desk. Here's another boy. Could be one of our kids. Going through the garbage. Now, I remember afterwards, 
the mission team going back into the bus and we were asked to pray and all of us, we were a mess. All of us were a mess. And I just remember that bus ride. And how many tears were cried. Because God was doing something in our hearts. And yes, it was a mixture of wild guilt. It was a mixture of man, I need to be so much more grateful for what I've got to, I'm never going to complain again, Lord, to, wow, my problems are tiny compared to what these people's problems are. It was such a mixture of all these emotions that were going on in our heart, and I, I just remember the, the experience. We, we, we tasted perhaps what Nehemiah may have felt crying for the people of Jerusalem and, and weeping and mourning and praying for four months and, and asking God to send him back. I just remember that. And we were so moved. As a mission team, we were so moved to bring people hope, bring people the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the condition they were living in. And it was a challenge. Quite honestly, it was a challenge for us. And I bring this up not to make us guilty, not to make us feel down, but for us to think where God has put us. We may not have smoky mountains like this to this extent in our city or our suburb, or our high-rise, or our neighborhood, or our workplace. But we've got to realize that people are living, perhaps, on fancier garbage mountains. Fancier garbage high-rises, fancier garbage country clubs, fancier workplaces, school campuses, we may not have this type of smoky mountain in our mission field that we have, but don't be mistaken, people still need hope. They need answers, they need salvation, they need God's mercy, they need forgiveness. And you know what? We've got the answer. You have the answer. If you have God, you have the answer. If you've got your Bible, you've got the, the passages that will lead people to eternal life. We've got it. We have it. And God has blessed us with it. Smoky Mountain closed down many, many years ago. The government shut it down. But unfortunately, another set of mountains grew in another part of Manila called Payatas. And there's about 80,000 people that live in that community. Maybe you've lost heart in your Christian life. It's inevitable. You're going to be tempted to lose heart. And maybe you've, maybe you've been defeated walking with Christ. Maybe you've just been stuck in your life spiritually for a period of time. And you keep trying to do things, but you feel stuck in your walk with God. Maybe you've been hurt by other disciples. Maybe you've been hurt by other people, and that has shocked your faith, that has stunned you, that has held you back. Maybe you've been disappointed by other people. You're tired of resolving conflict. Maybe even in your marriage, 
perhaps even with other people. Perhaps your family is not where you want it to be, and you've been hit, you've been stunned, you've been damaged. Maybe you're tired of the facade of being a Christian and you're living a double life. Maybe there have been prayers that haven't been answered. You're disappointed. You're just disappointed in God. You've been praying something for years and nothing has changed. Maybe your life as a Christian just hasn't panned out the way you wanted it to be. I don't know what your story is. But I know as long as we live on earth and following God, we are going to be tempted to lose heart. All of us. It's inevitable. But it's what, what do we do in those moments? What do we do? How do we handle those moments? Lots of people lose heart. But here's, here's the thing. It's the most dangerous place we could be for our faith. If we allow ourselves to lose heart and grow weary, it's the most dangerous thing that can happen to our faith. Absolutely it can be. What, is it, what does it feel like to lose heart? Here, here's the scary thing. It doesn't feel like anything. You become numb. Worship doesn't move you anymore. People bother you. You bother people. <laughs> you don't care anymore. Worst of all, you don't care that you don't care anymore. That's what happens when you lose heart. That's what happens when your faith starts deteriorating from the ideals and the vision that God originally put in your life. You start drifting. You start getting numb. You start not caring the way you used to. Lots of Christians lose heart. Maybe you've lost heart. Maybe you've grown weary in your life. I've struggled with losing heart. Tired of taking on my sin, other people's sins discouraged seeing people walk away from the Lord people not making it when you study the Bible with them and you pour out your life to them and they decide not to do it I've seen friends get divorced that's that's discouraging I've had thoughts of throwing in the towel not coming to church and I'm the one like preaching that Sunday <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> and maybe in your own personal journey, you've lost heart. Again, I don't know. And you wonder whether God will use your life again, whether he'll use your marriage in the condition that it's in, whether he'll use your family again. And we question, and we wonder, and we're in that state God, what, what's happening? What are you doing? What are you allowing to take place? We're wondering whether the glory days are behind us or are they really ahead of us? This is one thing I want you to remember. God is not done with us. God is not done with you and he's not done with me. 
That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. What I want you to leave with today is the fact that God is not done. He's not done with any one of us. Abraham, his life started getting interesting at age 100. (laughs) Moses began to come into his own age at age 80. Things started getting really good at that age. If that's the case, then our glory days are still ahead. If you stick with the Lord around long enough, if you hang in there, if you don't give up, if you persevere, even in hard times, guess what? You're going to see the most glorious days ever and ever and ever. But you've got to stay faithful to God. You've got to stick with Him. Tighter than a marriage vow. You got to stay with him no matter what. God must have known we were going to struggle. He must have known this because he gives us direction. He gives us direction. What does God say? We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12 here in a moment. But the book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus, he is superior, he's the man. He's the one that's going to get us through all these things. He's the one that we should get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on him. Jesus is superior. The Jews at the time, they weren't experiencing that. But the Hebrew author was saying, hey, Jesus, he's superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. And yes, he's even superior to Moses, who you value with the highest of esteem. The laws of God back in those times, they were just a shadow of the things of what Jesus would offer. Because in Christ, we have freedom. We have freedom to live. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We've got mercy that God has given us. And the Hebrew author is saying, guys, why? Why would you want to go back to your old, lifeless, religious ways? Why would you want to go back to that lifestyle where where your hearts were hard as a rock and, and, and you were living in sin and you weren't living for God? Why would you want to go back to that life? And this is where today we can be like the Jews and make the mistake of not appreciating what Christ has done in our life. This is this is where this is the fork in the road where we can make the mistake. If, if we live our Christian life not appreciating what Jesus has done for us, not, not embracing the forgiveness, not embracing the, the mercy in our lives, we can grow hard-hearted, we can lose heart, we can grow weary, we can lose our faith. But the Bible talks about stopping and considering who Jesus is. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. You know, such a key word in this passage is just endure. I love that word. It's found in verse 2, 3, 7, variation of verse 20. But that word endure, it just means to bear up under trial, to continue when the going is tough. This is what the Hebrew author is appealing to the Jews. Bear up under trial. Your life in Christ will be tough. It will not be easy because you are called to care not just for yourself but for other people now. But continue, continue when the going gets tough. The Jews were being tested in their faith and they were tempted to give up, to go back, give up Christianity, give up Jesus Christ and go back to what they were raised on. Christianity was never meant to be easy. God didn't say, repent and be baptized and your life is going to be easy. What did the Hebrew author do for the Jews at the time? He pointed them back to Jesus. We have to constantly be pointed back to Jesus. That, that is such a key for us to not grow weary or lose heart. Imitate Christ, even in the darkest and darkest of times. Remember what Jesus went through, and your spirits will be lifted. You will feel it. You'll, you'll, you'll sense it. You'll sense the Holy Spirit help you take another step again. Get up when you've been knocked down. You know, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and it's a great study, but we're called to, to look back and all the great saints of, of the Old Testament who have won the race through their faith. And the Bible talks about being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And we are. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And it, it's not suggested here that all these Old Testament saints are like spectators and they're watching from a stadium you know, seats, watching us run the race. That, that word witnesses, actually, we get the English word martyr. So a better translation is we're, we're surrounded by a great cloud of martyrs who have lived this life before. And because of their life and because of their witness, their testimony, they're, they're being able to communicate to us, hey, guys, if, if God got them through it, he can get us through it too. And that gives us hope that other people before us have lived this out. And if God got them through it, guess what? He can get us through it too. And we are. We're surrounded by all these great martyrs that have lived in the faith for God. And God is appealing to us. Hey, guys, the Jews, look, all these heroes of faith that you have based your faith on and you've held and redeemed and valued, guess what? God has brought them through, and he's going to get you through it too. Don't be tempted to go back to your old ways. Christ has already run the race of faith, and he's conquered. The Bible says he's the author. He's the pioneer. He's the trailblazer. He's, he's the one. He's the origin. He is everything. Our Lord is Lord and Savior. And the Bible talks about how the joy set before Jesus 
Christ. Look to him. Consider him. We need to get our eyes off ourselves. Get our eyes off other people. Get our eyes off our circumstances. Stop being so problem-focused and get your eyes on Jesus Christ. I don't know what spiritual condition you're in. I don't know. You may be doing great, and that's fantastic. We all want to do great in the Lord. But great in the Lord doesn't mean free of struggles, doesn't mean free of problems, doesn't mean free of sinless, uh, sinfulness. Great includes that. I think there was a time in our fellowship where, you know, a brother's struggling. It's like, oh, let's rescue him. No, let him struggle with the Lord. Let him struggle. Let, let her struggle. This is good for their faith. This is testing their faith. Now, okay, if they stop breathing, yes, get in there. Get in there. Do CPR. I'm not, you know, saying neglect everyone. But let's, that, let's not equate struggling with like we're doing really bad. We're supposed to struggle. How do we get stronger? You can't, you can't build muscle by watching videos, staying at home. You got to get in the gym. You got to struggle. And that's okay. But I don't know. I don't know what condition you're in. I don't know if you're doing well. I don't know the condition of your marriage. I don't know the condition of all your kids. I don't know if you've got attitudes towards others. I don't know. I don't know if you've got deep, unconfessed sins that's just held you back. I don't know if you have low to no dreams at all. I don't know those things. But I do know if you, if you serve God faithfully, not perfectly or sinlessly, sin, sinlessly, if you serve God faithfully, your best days are still ahead. Your best days are still ahead. I want to finish up here by reminding you and me of some Old Testament examples that give me hope, and I hope they give you hope too. And you're going to have to study them on your own, but I'm just going to give you some bullet points. Lot, back in Genesis chapter 19, he pitched a tent towards Sodom. Not a good town. Okay, what happens in Sodom stays in Sodom. <laughs> not, a good, not a good place to uh, head towards. He offered his daughters to a mob to be raped. I mean, what kind of parent does that? He got drunk and had sex with both of his daughters. That's disgusting. Yet in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Lot was considered a righteous man. Oh. Oh. If, if God can use Lot, he certainly can use us. Rahab, another, another character, Joshua chapter 2. She was a prostitute. Not, not good career. Okay, she lied. The Bible talks about lying. Yet in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 and 31, Rahab is listed among the heroes of the faith. She's a hero? She's like Wonder Woman? 
if, if God can use Rahab in her condition, he can certainly use me and you. With all of our problems, with all of our faults, with all of our sin, he can certainly use us. Samson, another great guy. <laughs> Judges 13 through 16. His marriage was unlawful. He made a foolish bet and had to kill 30 men to meet the terms of his bet. Visits a prostitute, sleeps with Delilah. In Hebrews chapter 11, 32 and 38, the world was not worthy of men like him. It's like, what? I'm doing pretty good here compared to these guys. We put these guys on the struggling list here in church. Concern. What, bro? You're going where? You're doing what? You're involved in this? Last person, David. First and second Samuel commits adultery with Bathsheba. Not only that, he has her husband Uriah murdered. He goes back in his word. Shemai, member of Saul's family, gets him killed. And in first Samuel thirteen fourteen, David is said to be a man after God's own heart. Wow, how is that after God's own heart? And yet, the God from above considers him a man after his heart. If God can use David, if God can use Rahab, if God can use Lot, if God can use Samson, he can certainly use us. I hope you're being built up right here in the Word of God. There, there is a level of grace from God that we do not know anything about. There is a level of God's grace that we're totally oblivious to. And sometimes the way that we look at ourselves and the way we treat other people is by human grace and not by God's grace. There is another level of grace that I pray we get to understand here on earth. That God just peels it back and he helps us understand, guys, I have so much more forgiveness and love and mercy that any of you can even fathom or dream about. This is our God. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is how he treats us. This is how we should see ourselves. This is how we should see other people. With this kind of level of grace and love and mercy. If God can use these types of people, he can use us. These were the great cloud of witnesses. And if God can see them through, then God can see us through. Next time you aren't sure whether God wants to use you, remember these people. Remember them. Name your kids after them. <laughs> Time for dinner, Samson. Let's get ready for school, Rahab.
Here's what I want the marriage of the New York church to do, okay? Here's what I want you to do. Keep praying. Keep praying for your future. Keep praying to Almighty God. Be his disciple. Hear his voice. Learn from him. If you feel stuck, he'll get you unstuck. Keep believing. Keep believing that the best days are still ahead of us. They are. They are, guys. If you stick around long enough with the Lord, guess what? You're going to go to heaven. I think that's, that's pretty glorious. That's pretty glorious. So, so don't, let's not get too comfortable with the, you know, the garbage houses we live in. Let's not get too comfortable. This world is not our home. Keep sharing Jesus with other people. You guys live in one of the most incredible places in all the world. I've been telling Markowskis, this, this city, this area changes the world. You guys are game changers. You guys are world changers. God has changed your life. Your pain is someone else's hope. Keep sharing Jesus. I love being with the Markowskis. They just share their faith wherever they go. That's no pressure for them to keep sharing their faith while we're with them. They just, you know, they, they just keep sharing their faith. I'm inspired by that. I love it. Become a disciple of Jesus. I don't know all the marriages here. But if you're in a situation where your marriage is not united in Christ, do all you can to get there. Maybe some of you, you've been coming around for years. You know you're not a Christian. You know you're not baptized. You know you haven't fully given your life over to Christ. Get there before it's too late. Get your marriage united in Jesus. Do, do it for God. Do it for your wife. Do it for your family. Get there. We're going to pray for communion right now and while communion is taking place I want to I want to play another song I actually played this song at the staff meeting on Thursday and it's an appropriate song I really believe as we end it's called I know he cares by an artist named Jonathan Butler it's a song about not giving up when times are hard and perhaps you've lost some things when circumstances are difficult, because the Lord cares for you and for me. And so I want you to take it personally. I want you to listen to it, perhaps, for someone who can be encouraged by it. So after I pray, the song will play. You can close your eyes, meditate on the words. Let's settle our hearts and our minds. And you can take your communion during the time of the song as well. But I want to thank you for the great memory of being here in New York with you. It's been a joy. And again, we leave tomorrow afternoon, so get your ticket. <laughs> and we look forward to having you with us. But let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, how wonderful and awesome and words that can't describe just how much we love you. And Lord, we're here because 
you have saved us, and it's all because of your blood, your sacrifice, and your belief in us. And Lord, if you could use these characters that we're familiar with in the Bible, you can use us, and that you're not done with us. And that gives us joy, and that gives us hope. Thank you, Lord, for who you are building us up and allowing us to run the race set out for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.